Hey, you know what? It's really fun to be here. Come on, everybody, say it with me. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing, how are we doing? And welcome to episode number 34 for the captain and the truth. Number 34, Paul Pierce. That's right, episode number 34, Paul Pierce, my favorite self-explayer of all time, the Larry Bird of my generation. How's everyone doing? I'm Timmy G. Thanks for tuning in, your podcast host, your favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder. Find me on the Twitter machine at BannerBanter18 or on Facebook and Instagram at BannerBanterPodcast. And you're probably listening to the podcast on a fine podcast application like Spotify, Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, etc., etc. Let's get right into it. The Celtics have lost four games in a row. And before we get dark, let's explain where they are right now before we go down a deep, deep and dark hole. But Four, four losses in a row, 43 and 31 on the year. They're now four and a half games behind the Philadelphia 76ers for the three seed. So, unless something like bananas happens, like Gwen Stefani, B N A N A N A S, if I even said that right, I bet you I just spelled that wrong, but whatever. This whole season's been bananas and very confusing, and I don't know who I am as a person anymore because of it. But three and a half, uh, sorry, four and a half games behind the 76ers for the three seed, no shot, but we still got a shot at that four seed. That's what I'm focused on. That's what I've been focused on for the last couple of weeks, and we need to get that four seed. We need home court advantage against the Indiana Pacers. Two games behind the Indiana Pacers, and guess what? We still have to play them two more times. But here's the crazy thing. You guys know all season that I've been preaching Pacers, Pacers, Pacers. Watch out for the Pacers. And the reason why I said that is because Victor Oladipo is so good. But he got hurt, and it sucks. He was an all-star. You obviously want to beat the team at their best. But the Pacers have only beaten three teams with a winning record since January 23rd. They've beat the Raptors at home, the Thunder at home, and the Nuggets at home. So guess what? They're good at home. The Celtics need home court advantage. And this is how it all breaks down. Celtics have eight games left, three at home, five on the road. The Pacers have eight games left as well. They have four games at home and four games on the road. So this is how it kind of all breaks down. They are currently playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we could be one and a half games back or two and a half games back once this podcast posts. So TBD on that. But they got the Pistons twice, who are fighting for the fifth and si- uh, the sixth or the seventh seed. The Nets, who are also fighting for that sixth or seventh seed. The Magic, who are trying to make the playoffs for the eighth seed. And the Hawks, who really have nothing to play for. Where, where the Celtics have the, the Cavs, meaningless game. Wizards, meaningless game. The Heat twice. And the Magic once, who are both playing for the eighth seed. The Nets, who are fighting for the sixth seed. And obviously the Pacers twice. Once at home, once on the road. Super important. It starts this Friday, 7 o'clock at TD Garden. Very, 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 
very important game if we want home court advantage, okay? Now, since the NCAA tournament's going on, shout out to my Duke Blue Devils for going to the Sweet 16, and screw you, Taco Fall. Screw you. You almost ruined my hopes, my dreams, and my passions of seeing a sixth title for the Duke Blue Devils. But Duke won. Shout out to Zion and RJ and Trey and Cam and everyone else. Coach K, what up? John Shire. Anyways, we got to talk about the draft picks because we actually might get four draft picks. We, I've, I've been keeping an eye out on the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies are actually playing kind of well right now. And they, They're currently tied for sixth with the Mavs for like getting the sixth pick in the draft. They're a half game behind the Wizards for the eighth and a full game behind the Pelicans for the ninth. Now, here's the question. Do we want this year's ninth seed or do we want next year to be top six protected? So if they finish seventh, we'd get a seventh versus a ninth. Or do we wait until 2021 and get an unprotected first round pick? So it's it's kind of interesting. So I don't know if if... If you're the Celtics, you could get, I don't know, you, ugh, I don't. I literally don't know what what I would want. This year's draft to me doesn't really like stand out, but I I could see some guys being really good because you also got to think the Kings pick is currently 14th, the Clippers is 21st, and the Celtics have their own at 22nd. So just with the 14th, the 21st, and the 22nd pick, you can get someone like P.J. Washington from Kentucky who's currently hurt, and hopefully he'll be in for the Sweet 16. He's a really really good player. I am a big fan of his. I think he could really do well in the NBA. Then you have someone like Nikolai Alexander Walker, or is it Welker? No, it's Walker from Virginia Tech. That kid's a beast. Perfect, like kind of like Marcus Smart, but can shoot the ball well. And then you got Grant Williams for Tennessee, who, you know, he's a little bit older, but he's performed very well for Tennessee this year. He's been their best player, I think, for Tennessee. And Tennessee was what, ranked number one for God, how many, like five or six weeks this year? So you you could get three good guys right there and then maybe a good draft pick next year. So yeah, it's very interesting. But just keep an eye out on the Grizzlies because the Celtics could end up with the ninth pick and then have four first-round picks this year. And they could maybe move up in the draft, maybe get someone else. Who knows? It will be very interesting, very, very interesting this June. All right, now let's talk about the injuries. There's a lot of injuries going on with the Celtics, obviously some load management, if you will, some rest, some actual injuries. Al Al Horford sat out all weekend, and he might even sit out against the Cavs tonight. Um, Yeah, well, this is going to post Tuesday. So yeah, we'll say tonight or tomorrow, whatever. It doesn't really matter, but he might sit out, which means he would actually miss like an entire week of basketball, which is basically like the all-star break. So I'm okay with that. Horford, his knees were bothering him. He wasn't looking the same. It makes ton of sense for him to sit out, so I'm okay with it. Aaron Bur- Aaron Burns. Aaron Baines returned to the lineup on Sunday against the Spurs. You know, thankfully his ankle wasn't as bad as originally thought. So, you know, he might not be 100%, but he's back. He was needed because Robert Williams got hurt against the Charlotte Hornets over the weekend. He has a back contusion. Jason Tatum has a back contusion. He might not play against the Cavs tonight, tomorrow, whatever the hell it is. Gordon Hayward's back from his concussion protocol, which, and by the way, you know, I thought 
Gordon Hayward was going to be a little nervous, like, coming back. I mean, because he still doesn't look confident with his ankle. So I figured, oh, God, he's probably going to be afraid to get hit in the head. First game back, leads the team in rebounds. Who would have thought? Not me. And then you got Kyrie. Kyrie ain't playing against the Cavs. Kyrie doesn't want to play against the Cavs, which is fine by me because Kyrie would get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, so, like, four days off before back-to-back because Pacers and Nets this weekend. We'll preview that in a little bit. But the other big news regarding the Celtics is the return of the Moose. Greg Monroe is back. He signed a 10-day contract with the Boston Celtics. And who knows, maybe you can give the Raptors some secrets that the 76ers can't get because the way that it, you know, is going to pan out, if everything goes well, you know, basically right now you're looking at a Bucks Heat series, a Raptors Pistons series, a 76ers Nets series, a Pacers Celtics series. I wouldn't mind if the Pacers, I mean, uh, the Pistons and the Nets flip-flop, so maybe Drummond and Embiid can just go at it because that would be good entertainment on the Twitter machine. But anyways, Greg Monroe, he played 26 games for the Celtics last season, 10 points, 6 boards, 19 minutes a game in the regular season. He actually played really well in the regular season for those final you know, 20-plus games or so. But in the playoffs, he really didn't play that much. He averaged about 9 minutes, 4 points, 3 boards. But two things that's very interesting about this signing. Why did they sign Greg Monroe? That's what I want to know. Is it because they trust him? Do they need another body? Do they not trust Robert Williams anymore? But it's weird. They started Robert Williams on Saturday against the Charlotte Hornets before he got hurt. So clearly, if they trust the kid to start, I mean, why not start Yabo? You know what I'm saying? So it's very interesting to see why they did sign Greg Monroe. And then it also brings us into another issue, which I brought up last week, is Thomas Robinson. He signed a ten, He signed with the Maine Red Claws in the G League up in Portland, Maine. And if this 10-day contract doesn't work out for the Moose, does that mean Thomas Robinson's going to be getting a 10-day contract? And it's basically like a trial period for both of these guys. So very interesting to see what it's going to be because Greg Monroe is... How can I say this politely? Greg Monroe sucks at defense. He's terrible defensively, but he's very good offensively. And right now, the Celtics' biggest issue is defense, which makes you want to vomit because that's what the Celtics are usually good for. But right now, they suck at defense. So why would you bring in Greg Monroe, who's not very good at defense? So I understand the move, kind of, sort of. You don't know what Al Horford's going to be like. You don't know what Aaron Baines going to be like. It did kind of work for a little bit with Horford and the Moose playing together last year at the same time, but it wasn't ideal. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting signing. I'm not upset about it in any way, shape, or form. I just want to see like what it actually means uh, at the end of these 10 days that Greg Monroe is going to be playing for the Boston Celtics. Now, obviously... Greg, Greg Monroe could be someone huge, someone very important for this team, someone that could really change the culture of this team and put in important minutes in the playoffs and possibly the NBA Finals, which leads us into our Banner Banter investigation. Lego. We now interrupt this podcast to bring you a very special Banner Banter investigation, Celtics Unit Report. Okay, this week's Banner Banter Investigation is really focused on late season signings by the Boston Celtics. And 11 years ago, one of the biggest, one of the most important late season signings in Boston Celtics history happened. It was P.J. Brown. P.J. Brown. What will Brown do for you? February 27th, 
2008, at the age of 38, the Boston Celtics signed P.J. Brown for the rest of the season. He played 18 regular seasons. <laughs> 18 regular season. 18 regular season games, two points, and three boards. That's all that he averaged in those 18 games. Pretty piss poor, right? Like, Yabo could probably get those numbers. But what he did in the playoffs is what he will always be remembered for. For example, Game 7 versus the Cavs in the second round. He went 4 for 4, had 10 points, 6 boards. Oh, man. And he hit a jumper with about, because I was at that game, he, he hit a jumper with about 2 minutes, maybe like anywhere between 90 seconds and 2 minutes left. Where it was just like, no, yeah, let's go. Put the Celtics up like five or six points. It was huge. And then in the NBA Finals, his defense on Paul Gasol, because let's be honest, Paul Gasol is soft. He is not like his brother Mark. Paul Gasol is soft. So KG obviously had to be on Lamar Odom, and Paul Gasol was defended by P.J. Brown, who was an old, strong, physical guy that you wouldn't want to mess around with, and he did a great, great job. He played over 20 minutes three times in those six games of the 2008 NBA Finals. And before that, he was only averaging 12 or 14 minutes. He was absolutely incredible during that 2008 NBA Finals. And the fact that he wore number 93, oh, love it. Because there's so many retired numbers for the Celtics. P.J. Brown's like, yeah, I'm here. Just give me 93. Let's play basketball. I loved it. I loved it. Now, P.J. Brown went to Louisiana Tech. He was the 29th overall pick in the 1992 NBA draft. He played for the Nets, the Heats, the Hornets. And the crazy part about the Hornets is he actually played. He's the only player in Hornets history that actually played for the Oklahoma City Hornets for a short period of time, the Charlotte Hornets, and the New Orleans Hornets. So he's literally been part of one of the most influential slash important people in Hornets history. And he won an NBA Sportsmanship Award in 2004. He was... He's been on second-team All-NBA defense three times, 97, 99, and 2001. But here's, here's what's crazy. He got released by the, by the Nets, who originally drafted him, and then he signed with the Heat. And then that next season, he backed up Alonzo Mourning on the Miami Heat, like, you know, that Tim Hardaway, Alonzo Mourning, Pat Riley team, the, you know, those type of teams. And they actually won a franchise record 61 games that season. And he was a huge, huge part of it. But P.J. Brown has also been a part of a lot of, a lot of trades. He's been traded like four or five times. J.R. Smith, Anthony Mason, Eddie Jones, Otis Thorpe, Jamal Mashburn. Some of the names of the guys he's been involved in trades with, which are pretty legit names. Now, what's he doing these days? I really couldn't find out what he is doing these days because, you know, that Celtics documentary, the Ubuntu documentary on NBC Sports Boston about, you know, the 10-year anniversary of the Boston Celtics. Obviously, he looked like he was living in a nice apartment. They interviewed him a couple times. It was really cool, and that was about it. But besides that, he's really not on social media, isn't really that big of a public figure anymore. But P.J. Brown, 2008 NBA Finals, you were the MVP for me, even though this is the Paul Pierce episode, and Paul Pierce was the MVP of the 2008 NBA Finals. Sir, I salute you for what you did, and hopefully Greg Monroe or the Moose can even put up half of the performance you did throughout the 2008 NBA playoffs. Now, Nuggets, 76ers. Let's recap those games. I can't believe it was over a week ago, that Nuggets game, but the, the Celtics lose two games that they should have won, and to be honest with you, they could have won. They lost to the Nuggets 114-105, and they lost to the 76ers 118-115. And the theme for both of these losses, and you could even say the theme for all four 
of these losses has been lazy, piss-poor defense in the fourth quarter. 34 points for the Nuggets in the fourth quarter. 33 points for the Nuggets, I mean, uh, for the 76ers in the fourth quarter. The Hornets won on a 30-5 to run in the fourth quarter. So just terrible, terrible defense. The defense intensity was, it wasn't even there. It was there for the first three quarters. Like, you felt confident during the the 76ers game because you were just like, dude, if they can just play defense for 12 more minutes, we got this game. We own the 76ers. We got it. But they couldn't do it. They really couldn't do it. And it and it was absolutely unbelievable because you're holding good offensive teams like the Nuggets and the 76ers to 28 points per quarter. And I know that I focus on that a lot. And it's just because, think about it. If, like, the Hornets game, which we'll talk about in a little bit, like, the Hornets only scored, like, 25 points one quarter, and then the next quarter they dropped, like, 36. Like, that can't happen. Like, those type of things cannot happen but the the last 90 seconds of that third quarter for the Boston Celtics in the Nuggets game drove me absolutely batshit crazy it, it, first of all Brad Steven calls a timeout don't know why we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit then Marcus Morris throws like a Duke versus Kentucky Christian Leitner type Hail Mary for no reason out of bounds, and then Jalen Brown plays lazy-ass off-ball defense. Guy cuts back door, lays it up and in. That's that. You're like, ugh. And they, the Nuggets tied the game at that point, and then after that, next thing you know, the Nuggets just went on a run. Now, a couple plays before that, Jason Tatum, who sucked this month shooting three-pointers. He's absolutely, He's been brutal shooting three-pointers this month. Like, ugh. We'll talk about that in a bit, too. But if he stuck that three, the Celtics would have been up eight, and that would have been a completely different basketball game. It, it really could have. And the big men for both of these teams, Jokic and Embiid, two of the best, if not two out of the top five best centers in the league, and the Celtics, for the life of them, cannot cover the pick and pop. They can't do it. Jokic hit threes. Embiid hit threes. It drove me nuts, and you can see it coming too. And it try, oh. <clears throat> like for example, Joe Jokic, twenty-one points, thirteen boards, seven assists, and he was three of seven from three. Embiid had thirty-seven points, twenty-two boards, and he was twenty of twenty-one from the free throw line. He took like eight or nine more free throws than the Celtics did. That that's not okay. That is not okay. But here, here's something that is okay. So you know how Embiid was talking all that smack that he does? I mean, don't get me wrong, guys. Joel Embiid is very entertaining. He really is. No one talks smack better in the NBA than him, especially publicly. But he was saying that, like, you know, he didn't like how he was hearing people being that the Celtics could dominate him and stuff. But Al Horford covered Joel Embiid for 42 possessions. Embiid only took three free throws, five points, one of five from the field. But no one will look at that. No one will. Everyone will just focus on the thirty-seven and twenty-two that he had, as they should. But when Al Horford, who's tired, who on his bad knees without any rest, that boy owns Joel Embiid. So that that is a positive you can take away from these Nuggets and Seventy Sixers games. But it's so crazy to me that like Jalen Brown. 
he's basically like come back to life, I feel like. He played terrible defense against the Nuggets. He didn't find his shot or didn't demand the ball in the 76ers game. He literally took a combined nine shots and just didn't seem to be interested in either game. Jalen Brown taking nine shots in two games combined, but then the Hornets game, he drops 29. It makes no sense. It's like, is he better when Gordon Hayward's on the floor? But because now he's not like zoomed in and focused on, but like though these are the type of opportunities Jalen Brown needs to take and say, hey, you know what, Gordon's on here, I'll pick up his slack and I'll play even better than I have. But another like positive, which I talked about in episode thirty-three about how I wanted Terry Rozier to start shooting with confidence, and he did that in the Seventy Sixers game, and he also did in the Nuggets game too. But he shot lights out in that first half of the 76ers game. I was really happy to see that from Terry, and I hope he continues to shoot the ball with confidence. Now, sometimes he's a little too confident, like the Hornets game. We'll get get to that in a bit. But we also need to realize how ridiculous Kyrie Irving has been. Before the Hornets game. No, you can actually include the Hornets game. No. Yeah. Yeah, you can include the Hornets game. He had five straight games of 30 points. And they, he just needs someone else out there to help him score that's not Kyrie or Horford because Morris ain't doing it, Tatum ain't doing it, and Marcus Smart is often never, never land. We miss him. I hope Marcus Smart's shooting can come back. But, man, Morris shooting out the door, Tatum's is in another world, and Marcus Smart is basically being himself. And it's so, so, so annoying, which leads us to a brand new, banner banter podcast segment hit the music and now it is time for your celtics dud and dud and another dud and unfortunately another dud and well another dud of the week All right, folks, you heard that right. We don't have any studs this week. We have five duds. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, uh, uh. Five duds. Dud number one, Brad Stevens, for calling that stupid-ass timeout at the end of the third quarter. Not needed, and that literally changed everything in that game. Absolutely changed everything in that game. And... That it was probably the maddest, the maddest. Mm. I just got so mad I burped. The maddest I've ever been at Brad Stevens. Like what? That was so stupid to call that timeout in the Nuggets game. I'm still angry about it a week later. It was absolute BS. Okay, let's talk about Dud number two. Dud number two was Jason Tatum. In the month of March, before the Hornets game, okay? So don't include the Hornets game because he didn't shoot the ball that well either. I just am so frustrated with it. I didn't want to get more sad. But in the month of March, before the Hornets game, he is averaging 5 of 12 from the field. Not terrible. Could be better. And is shooting 20% from three. Six out of his last 29. Now, if you want me to look up the Hornets game to see how bad he shot from three. Let's see. Six of 29 in the month of March. And then he comes out and let's see. What does he do here? 
he then goes two of seven. So that means he is eight of 36 in the month of March shooting the three-pointer, which is like 20%, if not less. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a career 27% three-point shooter, okay? Tatum is a 39% career three-point shooter. He is literally shooting 7% worse than the MVP of the NBA this season, in my opinion. That's terrible. Giannis can't shoot threes for the life of him. This is like Ben Simmons-type territory. Maybe that's a little harsh. But this is real bad. And the Celtics should be real concerned. So if Tatum wants all the rest to get maybe his legs back, maybe get a shooting form back, fine, so be it. But what a dud of a performance so far by Jason Tatum in the month of March. Dud number three, Marcus Smart, costing the Celtics a season sweep of the 76ers this past Wednesday. I understand that Joel Embiid can be a little dirty through a little bit of a cheap shot, but Marcus Smart needs to stop getting tossed out of games. He needs to stop pushing people. He needs to stop giving the other team free points. If Marcus Smart stays in that game, the Celtics win that game. I know it. You know it. 76ers fans know it. Simple as that. Now, would Jimmy Butler still be able to get his shot off probably towards the end of the game? Absolutely. But you know who would be in his grill the entire time? Marcus effing Smart. You're damn right. But he has to keep his cool. And I'm glad Brad said that he was disappointed because I I really hope Marcus Smart took that to heart because this dude needs, needs, needs to be in games for the Celtics. He is a workhorse defensively and is so important. And you could see the second he got tossed, the momentum, the defensive strategy from the Celtics, everything changed. And it was such a BS thing. For him to do and the fact that like the you know the pitcher he it literally looked he was like yeah i guess i'm gonna push him and Embiid was like whoa like he was about to die it was absolute crap and then dub number four and number five are terry rogier and marcus morris keep your mother effing mouth shut after you lose a game the, like this is why I really believe that this Celtics team has zero mental t- toughness, and it drives me bananas. I don't know if it's mental toughness because they put so much pressure on themselves, if us fans put so much pressure on them, but these guys have zero mental toughness. Zero mental toughness. Zip, squat, nada. It's gone. I want to know where it is. The Celtics own the 76ers. Since the playoffs of 2014, the Celtics are 20-4 and versus the 76ers. It's not a rivalry. So stop talking trash. For example, Marcus Morris after the game. What's the season series? 3-1? Okay, about time. About time he had a big game. About time they got a win. About time. How about we blew it? We didn't have a great game. We should have won that game. We're going to come back and be better the next game. Stop talking trash. And then Terry Rozier was on some FS1 show that no one really watches because I didn't even know FS1. Like, literally, if I didn't like NASCAR, by the way, I have a NASCAR podcast as well, the Wicked Fast Podcast. Check it out. iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify. But anyways, yeah, that's right. I'm a closet NASCAR fan. I love NASCAR. So if you don't like this podcast, which I know you do because you're still listening, and I appreciate that about you, you can also listen to the Wicked Fast Podcast. But... He literally called Joel Embiid 
Lame. Before the game. Lame. Don't call Joel Embiid. That's the stuff Joel Embiid loves. He loves when people start talking shit about him in plain English. He loves it. Don't feed that to him. And then afterwards, he went on Twitter saying he was surprised the confetti didn't fall. (sighs) Just don't say stuff like that. Don't say stuff like that. Just shut the fuck up in plain English. In plain English. Just shut up. Just shut up. But that's our new segment. Dud and dud and dud and dud and dud of the week. Now, Hornets, Spurs games. Spurs games, I'm really not that upset about. But a crazy-ass dink in this one. So, LaMarcus Aldridge made 20 field goals. Okay? 20 of his shots went into the hoop. The last time, and the only time before that, in the history of the Fleet Center, or TD Garden, whatever you want to call it, basically in the last 23, 24 years, that that new building has been up. One player has hit more than 20 field goals. Any guesses? Devin Booker. And guess when Devin Booker did it? On March 24th. Guess when LaMarcus Aldridge did it on Sunday? March 24th. What in God's name? Like, really basketball gods? So basically, if you're the Celtics and on the NBA schedule and you see that you're going to be playing at home on March 24th, just quit. Just don't even show up because someone's going to destroy you. Because that's what LaMarcus Aldridge did. But the Hornets game really stood out to me. It really and truly did. Zero mental toughness again. Zero. Up 18 in the fourth quarter, and they let the Hornets go on a 30-5 to run. 25 points better they literally had they scored a combined point 69 combined points i can't even talk because just thinking about it 69 combined points in the first and the third quarter and they can't even get 20 in the fourth they only scored 19 in the fourth and they allowed a 30 to 5 run and i understand horford wasn't playing i understand tatum got hurt i understand hayward wasn't playing blah 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 but you're telling me right now terry rogier kyrie irving marcus smart marcus morris jalen brown aaron baines the time lord they well the time lord wasn't playing in the fourth quarter you're telling me those five or six nba veterans if you will guys who've been in the league a long time are going to let guys like Kemba Walker, who is very good. And this is the thing. Kyrie, after the game, was like, oh, we need to trap better. How about you defend a little bit better? Because your boy went off. Kemba literally went off for 36 points, 11 boards, and 9 assists. Now, Kyrie also did have himself a game as well. You know, 31 points, 7 boards, 6 assists. I get it. Two steals. It was a sexy game. But he was a minus 10, and Kemba was a plus 21. Like, come on. It's like, don't don't call the coach out if you can't even defend the dude yourself. That's not good leadership. Yeah, I'm trashing Kyrie right now, a little bit. But then again, we'd probably be on a nine-game losing streak if it wasn't for his insane performances by dropping 30 points for four or five straight games. But the thing that drove me bananas about this, and this is a perfect example of the Celtics season in a nutshell, Jason Tatum was a minus 15 in this Hornets game, and Daniel Tice was a plus 15. Daniel Tice, plus 15. Jason Tatum, minus 15. What planet do we live on where that's a thing? Can, can anyone tell me? 
Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Jalen played well. Kyrie played well. Neither of them clutch in the fourth quarter. No one could hit a bucket. And speaking of no one could hit a bucket, someone should have hit Terry Rozier with a bucket over his goddamn head, over that stupid-ass tattoo in the back of his head, when he took that three-pointer where he just drove down the court as fast as he could, turned around, and just shot the ball with 20 seconds left. Didn't let the offense set up, nothing. It was a terrible, piss-poor shot, which is why he was dud number four or five this week. I already forget which one. But I I understand that the Celtics were short on bigs. You know, no Baines, no Horford. Time Lord got hurt, so really you're only dealing with, like, Yabo and Marcus Morris and Jason Tatum before he got hurt. But... 24 to 2 second chance points. 24 to 2. Celtics only had two points after securing an offensive rebound. The Hornets, 24. That's something that will make my wallet happy come playoff time. And what I mean by that is the Celtics will get beat in the first round because you got a rebound. You got a rebound in the playoffs. You can't let the other team have 22 more second chance points than you. You can't do it. And the Spurs game. That game was a joke from the start. With Aldridge hitting crazy shots. Like Marcus Smart was your leading scorer, but he was also a minus 22. Usually your leading scorer being minus 22 is never a good thing. The offense wasn't moving. The guys didn't want to be there. They were all tired. And Kyrie looked exhausted. That's why he's not playing in the Cavs game. But, I mean, he had 12 assists. Jalen had another game with zero assists. It just, none. like, the consistency of this team is bananas. So you look at Monday, okay? Then you look at Wednesday. Jalen Brown sucked, sucked. Then you look at Saturday, really good. Then you look at Sunday, really bad. I need consistency from the bench. I need some consistency. Jalen, if you're out there, bud, you had like three or four good games a week or two ago. Keep it up. That's what we need, bud. That's what we need. We need that. None of this like, well, I'll show up when I want to. We can't do it. We can't do it. Because this is a huge week for the Celtics coming up. You know, you got the first game tonight against the Cavs, 7 o'clock, on the road. No Kyrie. Horford might not play. Tatum might not play. <laughs> Time Lord probably won't play. Not like that's crazy. And you got a huge game against the Pacers Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then you got another back-to-back. Your second-to-last back-to-back of the season Saturday night on the road against the Nets, a young team that wants to make sure that they are the sixth seed in the playoffs. The Cavs game on Tuesday, you know, you really can't say much about it. Celtics have won all three meetings versus them this year. 128 to 95, 123 to 103, 103 to 96. That 103 to 96 game that they recently played, they had no Kyrie and no Marcus Morris. So this time they'll have no Kyrie again. But will Horford play? Who knows? But here's the thing. Kevin Love, Jordan Clarkson, they're back for them. Sexton seems to be, you know, Colin Sexton, that is, seems to be understanding the game a little bit better. He's been performing better and better every year. But I really think if Jason Tatum can play and Gordon is start feeling better for his concussion, I feel like this could be a big game for both of these guys to kind of Gordon to get back in the rhythm and Jason Tatum to find a shot. But if Tatum doesn't play, I mean... You better find that shot come Friday night because I fully believe that the most important part of a possible Pacers-Celtics series in the playoffs, or we can just focus on Friday, is the matchup between 
Bogdanovich and Tatum. Whoever plays better, both of them aren't great defenders, but whoever starts shooting the ball better and attacking the basket better will help their team and be the biggest difference in this game. Okay? Now, we can talk about the Pacers basically being the three seed and the Celtics and the 76ers fighting for the four seed because if Victor Oladipo was still playing, the Pacers would be the three seed. No doubt about it, which is why they went out and got Wesley Matthews. The Celtics have not played the Pacers since they acquired Wesley Matthews, who got released from the Mavs, or got, I'm sorry, got bought out by the Mavs. But they just beat the Nuggets by a lot. Nuggets retired. They're on their East Coast road trip. I mean, it was a good win for them, but it wasn't like life-changing by any way, shape, or form. And then if they can, you know what? Screw it. Let's just, I'm going to check the score of this. Pacers game right now. Let's let's see. That's right, folks. Live updates here for you. They are. Yeah. So Wednesday night they're playing the Thunder on the road. That's a big game. I thought they were playing tonight. My apologies. They're actually playing Wednesday night against the Thunder, which is huge. On the road, the Thunder are really good. The Thunder are fighting for a playoff spot as well, but. There's a bunch of matchups in this Pacers game and possible future series, and we'll get into it a little bit more. But, like, you got to look at someone like Miles Turner and Al Horford, two great big guys. Miles Turner is having a breakout year. He's playing really well. So, bonus off the bench is a stone cold killer. He always killed the Celtics. He's way too quick for Baines, but Baines is also way too physical for Sabonis. So, it kind of evens out. But then you look at the, you know, the starting lineups. Collinson versus Math and, and Matthews versus Kyrie and Smart. You're obviously taking the Celtics backcourt every day of the week. Horford and Turner, in my eyes, is a push. Then, you know, bench-wise, Sabonis, can Brown and Hayward match what Sabonis produced? Just the two of them, can they match that? Rogier, I think, is better than Corey Joseph, but Corey Joseph is a vet. He's poised. He can do a lot of good things, especially in the playoffs. He used to play for the Spurs and Pop. He knows what the playoff spotlight is all about. And then the Celtics have to make sure that Tyreek Evans doesn't go off because he's one of those guys that can easily come off the bench and score 20, 25 points if he's clicking. You get what I'm trying to say? And then the Nets game on Saturday, it can be a tricky one, only because maybe some guys won't play. Maybe they won't play Horford or Kyrie on the second night of back-to-back to give them rest. Excuse me. Excuse me again. The Nets... They want the sixth seed. I personally want them to have the seventh seed. I would. I want the Pistons to wear out Joel Embiid in the second round, so they lose to the, to the Raptors. Okay, call me selfish. But Celtics are two and one versus the Nets this year. And if you guys remember the last time, so it, the the way the NBA schedule works out, it's so crazy. So in November or October, November, December. The Nets and the Celtics did not play. They're literally four hours away from each other. They're in the same division. And you play everyone in your division four times a year. Two at home, two on the road. And then three straight Mondays in January. Do you guys remember that? I think it was like the 26th, the 19th, and the 12th. It was in Brooklyn. And then the next Monday was at the Garden. And then the following Monday was at the Garden. And now it's going to be the last weekend of March, and they're randomly playing again, and this time the Celtics on the second night of a back-to-back. I wonder if the Nets are also going to be on the second night of a back-to-back. That'd be nice, huh? And they're not. When do the Nets play? They actually play the 76ers on the road on the 28th, which is that Thursday. Anyways, but obviously the Celtics, 
need to focus on the bench. I mean, D'Angelo Russell having an unbelievable year. He eliminated his old team in the Lakers last week from the playoffs. So salute to you. Let the Lakers suffer forever. And they're... The, the Nets bench is deep. They go five or six guys, just like the Celtics. You know, Spencer Dinwiddle's back. They got Ed Davis, Rondé, Hollis, Jefferson Jr. God, that's such a mouthful to say. Jared Dudley. Like, those type of guys can really, really, really make life a living hell for the Celtics. So it's going to be a good game, but the focus for me is Friday, the Pacers game. We have to win that game because... The Pacers then, after they play the Celtics on the road, have to go home and play the Magic that following night, they're on the second night of a back-to-back two, and they're fighting for a playoff spot real, real bad. Because right now, the Magic are a half game behind the Heat for the eighth seed. So they're playing for something. So hopefully they give the Pacers everything that they got. Now, I know I've been very negative on this week's podcast, and I have been as of late because this has been one of the most confusing, frustrating, mind-boggling Celtic seasons that I can remember, not only being a season ticket holder for a dozen years or so, but even like before I was a season ticket holder. I, I just can't figure it out. But let me leave, leave this to you, okay? 2010, the Boston Celtics went to the NBA Finals, right? They went 3-7 and seven in their final 10 games of the season. They ended up being the four seed. They only had home court in round one. And they finished with a record of 50 and 32. Okay? Right now, the Celtics are 43 and 31. So if the Celtics go 7 and 1 the rest of the way, they could have the same record in the same seeding as the 2010 NBA Finals appearance, Boston Celtics. I know they lost to the Lakers in game seven. Why'd you have to bring that up, Tim? I'm just saying. I'm trying to be a little positive here. I'm not giving hope, not giving up hope on this team in any way, shape, or form. I ain't giving up on them. I'm sorry, folks. I'm not going to do it. It Come April, when's the last game of the year? The 9th? Come April 9th, the second that game's over, it's a brand new season. And I'm, I don't know if the Celtics will be able to flip the switch like the way that they're talking about. But I got confident. I got confidence in my team. I do. Can they go deep? I don't know. But will I feel confident? Once the lights go out on the regular season? Yeah. So that's why I'm just trying to give you guys some positive feedback. That 2010 Celtics team went 3-7 and seven in their final 10 games. Ended up being the four seed. It still made it to the NBA Finals. It's possible, folks. It's possible. So stay positive. And thanks for listening to The Captain and the Truth, Paul Pierce, number 34 episode of the Banner Banter Podcast. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Tell your friends. Tell your peers. Hope everyone's brackets are going well find me on the twitter machine at banner banter 18 or on facebook and instagram at banner banter podcast if you don't like the fine podcast application that you're using i'm on six or seven other different ones you can google that on your own i say it every episode you guys know the deal thank you guys for listening toodles and noodles x's and o's high fives and hand pounds and hey beat the pacers this week motherfuckers do it bye sorry but i'm gone i'm history and I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.